Hello and welcome to the MDDDS podcast. This is episode three and we are looking at part two of our study on the gospel you missed in youth group with a look at who am I? I think that our identity is something that we all idolize and I would be safe in saying I think that the way that we view ourselves in today's culture and probably in most cultures is different than the way that God views us. I think having an understanding of how God views us is essential to understanding his gospel. So tonight, David Flatt will be back with us to teach on this topic of who am I. So we'll head to David now. All right, so um, tonight we're on the second part of our first series. If you look at the schedule right here in the front of the book, so we did, we kind of did an intro on the August 21st, and then August 28th, two weeks ago, we did the first lesson in the gospel you missed in the youth group, and that was who is God, and Kyle did that lesson. I, I think I just wanted to kind of summarize some thoughts from who is God, because I think that kind of leads into the, the rest of what I want to say tonight. But ultimately what this series is about, so we, we entitled it The Gospel You Missed in the Youth Group. And the idea is not to like come down hard on the youth group. I had a good youth group experience. I think youth group is good. Um, I think we ought to support and encourage youth group. But there is something to be said for kind of a soft, fluffy, cultural, friendship-based, moral um, worldview you get coming out of youth group. And I think it's easy uh, to miss really what is the gospel right and to kind of miss the whole point of Christianity so what we want to do in the first series of our Bible studies to go back and just make sure we're on the same page for the thing that matters most which is what is the gospel and so we've broken it down into five different lessons the first lesson Kyle did last week was called who is God and so I think that every really important question starts with God and his character okay so um, I probably everyone in this room but maybe not I don't want to presuppose too much but at least for me, I believe that God exists in who he is, his character, and his nature is revealed in his word. And so if that's true, and he really is the greatest possible being, he's omnipotent, omnipresent, truly good, truly loving, truly holy, then any important worldview question is going to start with his character and then how we as his image bearers uh, mirror and, and show, shine an image. If you've got questions about marriage, you've got questions about a specific sin, you've got questions about... Uh, your career and your vocation, you have questions about parenting, about friendship. Ultimately, all those questions start with God and His nature, and then downstream flow for how we react to that. So the gospel is no different. It starts with God as the greatest possible being. And so Kyle talked about two weeks ago that God is, I'd say three things. God is righteous. So that means God is true to Himself. So whatever it is God is supposed to be, He's going to be true to that. And then His two essential qualities are He's holy and He's loving. So if he's holy, it means he must be separate from sin. means he must judge sin. If he's loving, it means he must love sinners and forgive sin, right? So we've got a, a, we have a, the greatest possible being that must be true to himself, that will judge sin and must be separate from sin, but he also, by his character, must love sinners, okay? So you kind of see what we're setting up here. There's some tension here, especially just, I mean, just kind of personally reflect, who are you? Well, when I think about who I am, I'm not a perfect person, right? So there's, there's some things about myself in the past and in the present that I wish were different, right, that, that are, I know are not holy. And so it's kind of before we even get started about what the Bible says about who I am, I already know I can't be in the presence of perfection. There's some tension there. And so that really leads into the gospel. So we want to talk about who God is, talk about who we are. 
Then we'll talk about who Jesus is. We'll talk about our response to Jesus. That's the fourth lesson. What is faith? And fifth, we'll talk about the eternal implications. So I, I think another tendency in um, kind of 2017 postmodern church Christian culture is to really emphasize the um, current benefits of Christianity. So be a, come to God, be a Christian so that you can have a good marriage. Come to God, be a Christian so you can have a positive attitude, so you can be successful, so you can learn good virtues and work ethic and, and honesty and integrity, which is going to make you successful in your career, right? I think a lot of that is true. I think if you kind of follow the lifestyle prescribed in the Bible, you're going to end up better than not. I think that's true. But our emphasis on that has kind of missed the point. The, the whole point of Christianity is we, we come to God to get God himself. So this, this is an eternal question. And so uh, we want to start with the big ideas. And then downstream, of course, there's going to be some good fruits of living a Christian life, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but we don't want to miss the big picture. So that's kind of a setup for where we've been and where we're going. And so tonight's lesson is basically going to be an incredibly pessimistic talk, okay? <laughs> so the gospel is good news. That's what, that's what the, uh, the word gospel means. But any kind of news has to be heard in context, right? So if I told you that, um, you know, that the sun was shining outside and it was a beautiful day, well, that'd be, that'd be great. It'd be much more meaningful if... Um, we had just experienced a hurricane or if we had just come out of some really bad weather. And so I think we have to understand news, both good and bad, in appropriate context. So the reason the gospel is such good news is because we are in such a bad spot. But we live in a postmodern culture that says, hey, everybody's all right, you're cool, just do what feels good. You know, God loves you no matter what you do, make your own choices. Um, Of course God loves you no matter what, but I think in that context we miss the ultimate reason for the gospel, which is that we are sinners, right? So if you want to talk about grace and forgiveness, but we don't first understand that I'm a sinner, then it doesn't make any sense. You know, so I've heard preachers say it's like clapping with one hand. It just it doesn't make, what are you saying? I'm forgiven of what? Or, or what, what is the cross? What is, uh, what is the cross about? Why did God die for me? Like none of it makes any sense unless we first kind of face the honest truth about who we are. So that's what I want to do tonight. I, I, hopefully we won't leave on a super negative note, but I think we've got to start there. So if, if you've got your Bibles, we'll open up, and I'll read um, kind of the theme verse for this series, which is Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. So this would be one, um, you know, I, I would I'd, I'd underline it, circle it, highlight it, whatever you do in your text or uh, if you read on, on your app or whatever. I think this is a really one of the you know, four or five key texts of, of all of Scripture is uh, Romans 3, 21 through 26. And that's the text that we're focusing on for the first five weeks of what is the gospel. So I'm just going to read it. And then the way the rest of the uh, study of tonight will work is there's a lot of scriptures in the lesson. So what we'll do is we'll just go around um, the circle, and when it come, a, a text comes up, <clears throat> we'll just take turns reading it. And all the texts are on the back of your lesson, so we'll just kind of go around the circle. If you don't feel comfortable reading, just tap the person next to you, and, and we'll let them read. But I think that kind of lets everybody get involved and, and say something um, during, during the lesson. So I'll read this first one. It's kind of a longer text, and then we'll take turns from there. All right, so Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God, we're going to talk about God's character, one of the things he's righteous. He's going to be true to himself. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. 
the, righteous of, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. And here's our theme verse for tonight, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, we'll talk about what that word means next or in two weeks, by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, so that's a lot of words, a lot of multi-syllable words, kind of thick theology there. So we're going to kind of break it down piece by piece. So let's start with the first blank um, tonight. So we, we have all rebelled against God. We've all rebelled. The first blank is rebelled. I think uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, if you think about Romans 3, Really, kind of the mirror of Romans 3 in the Old Testament would be Genesis 3, the first story of rebellion. So you've got this story um, where God says to do something, says here's the divine command, and then of course humanity's response is, did, did God really say this? And well, that doesn't make sense, and you know, there's questioning God. That's really the original sin, it's questioning, questioning what God has told us to do. And so here in Romans 3, we kind of have the, the implications of that, all of sin. But what does it mean to have sinned? It means we've fallen short of the glory of God. And so look at, um, if you want to just back up a few verses, look at Romans 3, 10 through 12. And again, this isn't on your page, so I'll read this one real quick. Um, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We'll talk about this as we kind of get through the lesson. But I really want to hammer this home because I think if you miss this, and it's easy to miss because it's a truth you don't really want to internalize, but if you miss this, you'll miss the point of your life. Right? It's a part of your core identity, even as a good church kid, grew up in church, you know, didn't do the big sins, only went to R-rated movies if they were about Jesus being crucified. You know, like if you did, like if you did all the things, you, you didn't go see Terminator 2, you know, you like hung hung to the straight and narrow, you think of yourself as a good person. And, and you are, you know, a good, moral person trying to live life well. But compared to God's holiness, we are separated from God. We are wretched. We are deserving of God's wrath. And so if you don't internalize that, if you don't understand who you are in the context of the character of God, then you'll miss the gospel, which is the reason you exist, to live out the gospel for the glory of God. So I really mean that if you miss your character and your identity as a sinner, you'll miss the point of your life. Right? You'll kind of, you, it's very easy to go through the motions of life, kind of do the Monday to Friday, man, I'm so glad it's the weekend, oh no, it's Monday again, and kind of just miss the whole thing. And so one of the key things to, to hitting it is what Kyle talked about last week, who is God, and then understanding who you are in context of that God. So our culture, just for kind of reading along here in the outline, our culture... Uh, the idea of sin is, un- is it not popular. The modern, you might write in parentheses there, the postmodern. I, th- I think our culture is probably better described as postmodern than modern. But the postmodern person does not want to see his or her actions as responsible to God. Right, so when we mess up, we might see our actions as um, responsible to our spouse, like you know, I let Lauren down, or a classmate, or a colleague, or a friend. But ultimately, we're responsible to God for our actions. 
So we describe, just think about how we describe just junk that you see in the media or the news or really sin in the world, but think about the way the world describes it. We describe problems as disgraceful, corrupt, prejudicial, social ills, but we rarely describe them as sin. So the ultimate problem with a lot of the problems in the world is not that they um, are not conducive to the improvement of civilization or the um, fairness or equality of people. Of course, we as Christians care about all that, but ultimately the, the problems with the way that we as humans live is it's an affront to God's glory. It's sinful towards God. It creates separation between God and us as his image bearers. So the Bible, of course, tells a different story, right? So we have a very human-centered worldview. We think about humans. How can I make my life better? How can I make even your life better? How can we make our culture better? How should we vote? How should we organize ourselves to make the world better? I think there's a place in Christian thought for those kinds of questions. But, but a Christian worldview does not have us at the center, right? The Bible has a God-centered worldview. So the ultimate questions of the Bible are about God and his righteousness, not about humans and our prosperity. Sin literally means to miss the mark, to do the opposite of justice, or to transgress, transgress God's law. So this is important to underline this sentence. Any thought or action that is not consistent with God's will for, for our lives is sin. So I want to have a pretty broad definition of sin, because the Bible has a broad definition of sin. Uh, the Bible doesn't just have, like, don't do these two or three things, and uh, you know, everything's going to be good. Right? The Bible includes has a, has a definition of sin that includes everybody, so we can kind of look at that now. So we're all guilty of sin. Kyle, you want to read Romans 3.23? Yep. All right. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all, that, that kind of covers it, right? <coughs> We've all sinned. So just kind of coming around the circle here, Lord. we got James 2.10. <coughs> For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So that that's not going to like draw big crowds on Sunday morning preaching that, right? <laughs> you do everything right except one thing, you broke all of it. That's not that's not a popular a popular message, but it's true, right? That's one thing we want to be about in this group is we're going to say things not because they're popular or cool, but because they're true. And so that's going to work both ways. Some true things are fun to hear. Some true things are kind of rough. But I think it's important that we're honest. All right, first John 1. That is not right there. Oh, really? But I'll read it. Okay. Yeah. I got my Bible. So give me first John 1, 8 through 10. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to make you get that out. Um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So that's rich there. One thing I want to talk about in here is how we read the text, how we read the word. And I think, again, it's just so hard to escape the culture that we live in. I think there's temptation, even as we hear somebody reading the Bible, reading the word, to be to judge what they're reading, right? So, oh, Anna said, Anna just read that um, if we say we don't sin, we're a liar. And, and we can't be forgiven of our sins if we say that we don't sin. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. Like, and so you're kind of judging that text. Or, and you feel like a really encouraging verse. Like, oh, yeah. That's what, I want to encourage us. We don't stand above the text. Like, we don't judge the text. The Word judges us. So we want to read the Word so we can understand truth. So we can understand truth about ourselves, truth about our sinful nature. 
um, not so we can figure out which parts we agree with or which parts are um, comfortable or which parts will make a good Facebook post that everyone would like. You know, there's some things in the text that are not going to be popular that we're not going to agree with, and that's really the whole point. Right? If we all already agreed with this, we wouldn't need, you know, a divinely inspired message from God. Um, and so we want to let the word sharpen us, not be uh, critiquing it. Okay, um, so we're all guilty of sin. We just read four verses that really make that point. So um, at least if, if you believe the Bible, and you're sitting here tonight, the Bible says that you're a sinner. Also, not only are we sinners, but we're going to be held personally responsible for that sin. So we've got a good Old Testament verse. We'll come to next, Caitlin. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So it's interesting, right? So if you sin, it's going to be credited against you. That's Ezekiel 18.20. So then also the same idea, Romans 14. You got that one, Will? So then... <coughs> Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. All right, so we that's kind of summarizing the first point. We have rebelled against God. God has shown a way for man. So um, Romans 3, which we're in right now, kind of talks about how we rebelled against God's revealed message. So God's told us to live a certain way. Think about the Ten Commandments, the Jewish nation. God's told people how to live. Romans 2 talks about how God's given all humans a conscience. So regardless if you've ever read the Bible, you understand some things are right or wrong. Okay, and every human has rebelled against that, right? So either either your conscience or if you know the revealed will of God, we've rebelled against God's will for our lives, and so we're sinners and and worthy of God's of God's justice. So we've rebelled against God. Point two: we are separated from God. We're separated from God. So all through Scripture, there's a principle of God's glory. So the presence of God is associated with the glory of God. Because of our sin, we are cut off from God's holy presence. So it's kind of kind of cool here. We talk about mirror verses. So Genesis three twenty three. You want to read that one for us, Billy? Uh, so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. All right. So you see in Genesis three, sin, banishing, separation, no longer with the glory of God in the Garden of Eden. Then Romans three twenty three. Chelsea, can you read that one for us? Um, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Right, yeah. So it's Romans six twenty three, not three twenty three. Um, and so just just making the, the point there again, we sin, we die, um, but the, but there's a, a better story later. But that's not this week's message. This week we're staying naked, right? So <laughs> uh, okay. So the ultimate problem of sin is not that we have done bad things or mad or made bad decisions. Right. So the ultimate problem with um, your sinful, prideful heart, the ultimate problem with my arrogance and um, rebellion against God isn't the implications of those bad decisions and arrogance in this life, right? It's not, the, the ultimate problem isn't that people won't like me if I act that way or that I'll be less successful or even that I'll be less happy. The ultimate problem with sin is that it separates me from my good creator who I was meant to be in a relationship with. So that's a problem much, much bigger than the way we think and talk about sin, even in church sometimes, right? So the problem the gospel is trying to address is a cosmic one, right? It's, it's about all of humanity and how we've broken God's divine um, gift of his image in us. We've broken that. We've broken that covenant, broken that connection, so we're separated from God. Okay, so just in case you guys thought we were being a little too positive, 
We are spiritually dead without God. Spiritually dead. All right. So let's just read a couple of verses. Um, Romans six twenty three. Okay, yeah. So we have we uh, we've talked about how the wages of sin is death, and then let's do Ephesians two. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. All right. So we are spiritually dead without God. So just kind of a rapid fire encouragement sentence right here. Um, because of sin, we are spiritually sick. It's going to be Isaiah 1, 5 through 6. Can you get that one for us, Ryan? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> why, <clears throat> why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Alright, so we are spiritually sick because of sin. We're also blind. Revelation 3, 17. You got that one for us, Jack? Yes, sir. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Alright, we are ignorant of truth and powerless. I'm sorry, we're ignorant of truth, Ephesians 4. Yeah, um, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Yep. Then we have darkened hearts. I'll read this one. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And they are in a state of enslaved, Romans 6. All right, Romans 6, 16. Don't, I don't know if this is the right verse. I think it is. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? We're in a state of enslaved, Romans 6. Powerless, it's Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Captivity. Colossians 1. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Alright, so whole sentence here. Because of sin, we are spiritually sick and blind, ignorant of truth, have darkened hearts, and are in a state of enslaved, powerless captivity. Right, so you see a difference here between kind of the cultural gospel, biblical gospel, right? Cultural gospel is kind of feel good. Here's how you can have your best life. Here's how you can organize your life for the blessings. Biblical gospel, you're a sinner, and sin has enormous consequences, including making you sick, blind, ignorant, a darkened heart, enslaved, powerless, and a captive. Right, so the truth <coughs> is that's the place where all humanity, including us, finds ourselves without Jesus. Right? And we do all kinds of things to distract ourselves and to speed up our lives and to fill our lives with all kinds of things so we don't have to think about it. But I think the truth is, everyone, if, you, if we pause long enough to consider who we are and, and what's going on in our life spiritually, we know this is ultimately true. I think everybody knows 
I'm not doing it the way that I was meant to do it. And so that's part of the biblical story is that we're messed up. So we cannot be united to God through good works. Essential, essential gospel principle. You cannot be united to God through good works. Let me read Romans 3, of course. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So this is really awesome, right? We're totally separated from God because of our sin, and we cannot do enough good things to be reconciled to God. This is totally uh, depressing. Like we're in a total place of helplessness. There's like there's literally nothing that we can do to redeem ourselves or to fix our situation. We're created by a totally holy God and a righteous judge. He must be separated from sin. He must judge sin. And we are um, repetitive sinners by our nature. So we're in a tough spot. And there's nothing you can do to bridge the chasm ourselves. So it becomes clear at this point why we need a Savior. Matthew 1, 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So we'll talk about this when it comes closer to Christmas. We're going to do three weeks on Christmas. That's really, a, I mean, just such an awesome moment when you consider the state of humanity before the first Christmas, right? We were not in a good spot, right? And... Um, then there's this baby named Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. I want to make one more point and then we'll, we'll wrap up. I know with a little bit of discussion. Here's the question I want you to consider. Remember we talked about how we have really a, a human-centered worldview. And so we ask questions backwards a lot of times from the way the Bible asks them. Okay, But I want you to think about how can holiness and love, justice and grace come together in God. Okay? So these seem to me, if you kind of take off your um, I know the end of the story hat, like you, you know, we've been to church, we kind of know how the, how the story ends. But just take that off for a second and consider we have holiness and love. How can those coexist? Justice and grace. How can, some, how can God be just towards me in my sin and gracious towards me in my sin? These are, are contradictory principles. If Maybe that's kind of tough to see, so I just want to look at one verse. You probably don't have this one underlined in your Bible. It's kind of an esoteric verse, but I think it makes the point. Proverbs 17, 15. I'll read it here. Acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. All right, so think about God as a judge. So a judge that acquits guilty defendants. So if a defendant comes and is guilty and we say, oh, you can just go free, no big deal. Just kind of walk. That's not a good judge. Right? We're not voting that judge for re-election. That's a poor judge. You're also a poor judge if innocent people come before you and are charged with something, and you let those and, and you condemn those people. Right? So, so a good judge is going to condemn the guilty and acquit the innocent. Right? But if you get either one backwards, you're in a bad spot. The point I want to make here is acquitting the guilty is a, does not make for a good judge, but God is the ultimate judge, the ultimate good judge. So I just want to pause. Of course, we're going to answer this question, but I just want you to kind of feel the tension. If you feel the tension, if God is a good judge who can't let guilty people go free and not judge them, then how, but he's also a loving father who must love his image bearers, how is this tension revealed? 
resolve. How does it resolve? So here's a, here's a quote that I think captures this just really well. The question our culture asks is, God, how can you punish sinners? God, how can you let people go to hell? I'm sure we've all heard that question from a, a non-believer, maybe even a believer kind of struggling. Maybe you've asked this question. God, how can you let people go to hell? We point the finger at his character. We question how he could do that. The Bible does just the opposite. It's because the Bible has a God-centered worldview, and we have a man-centered worldview. The Bible is not asking, how can God punish sinners? The Bible is asking, how in the world can God let rebels into heaven? How can God maintain his glory and let those who, who have belittled his glory into heaven? This is the tension with which the gospel confronts us. How can God show all his attributes, his holiness and his mercy, his wrath and his love, his justice and his grace? How can he show all these things? And the answer is this. The just and gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people and sent his Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross. That's important, right? So, so sin is due the wrath of God and must be punished. So where, where, is, where is your sin punished? It's punished because Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God on the cross. And he showed his power over sin in the resurrection. Jesus is the only way that this tension is revealed. There is no other religious system, no other religious philosophy that can bring this tension together. That can relieve this tension. Only Jesus Christ can do this. How can he do that? Our last point for tonight. As we will see in the coming weeks, the answer to this question is found at the cross. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful answer. Worthy of the name gospel. So I just want to close by saying that there is much good news coming. So don't you know, neglect to come back because we're in a depressing Bible study. But I think that some, some negative kind of telling the truth about where we are is needed before we can kind of reveal what the gospel actually is. So um, love you guys. So thankful that you're here. And I'm so thankful that the story doesn't end with us. Right? It's not about our nature about what God has done through that. So let me close this in a prayer, and then we'll have uh, time for a little discussion. We'll turn the podcast off while we discuss um, so we can kind of talk more openly. And if you're listening to the podcast and you're sad that you're missing out on the discussion, you should just come next week and, uh, and be a part of it. So I'll pray for us, and then, then we'll close the podcast. Dear Father, we thank you so much for who you are and what you've done in Jesus Christ. God, we confess uh, that we are worthy and deserving of your judgment, and we are so thankful that through Jesus we have access to your grace and your love. God, we pray that we would be people who are willing to tell the truth about uh, to ourselves about our own nature. And God, we're so thankful that when we call out to you for forgiveness, uh, that there is an answer in the cross. God, thank you for the, the souls that are here tonight and the souls that are listening uh, on the podcast. And we just pray that you would do a great and mighty work in us uh, so that we can show your glory to the world. Thank you so much for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I want to thank you for tuning in, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about what we discussed. And, I, and honestly, again, this week, I think the discussion was the best part. Um, so you got to come. you got to come and get that in person. We'll be back together next Monday at 7. Um, but I just want to kind of give you a quick summary of what we discussed. And so uh, one of the things that was brought up was uh, Section 3 on your little sheet there where it talks about how because of sin we are spiritually sick and blind, ignorant of truth, have darkened hearts, and are in a state of enslaved, powerless captivity. 
that statement that we, we kind of form based on what the Scripture tells us, I think that our culture, and also not just our culture, but ourselves, I think that what we think to be true is just the opposite. I think we would say that sin, that the things that we do, um, kind of of, uh, of the selfish nature um, or of our, of our fallen nature, uh, you know, the sins, the materialism, um, sex uh, outside of marriage, you know, stealing, jealousy, pride, all those sort of things, uh, those are the things that we think of that make us alive. And so I think a really popular cultural idea would be that the things that we do on the weekend, we kind of live for those things. We kind of deal with, you know, the boring work week so we can get to the weekend and go out and party with our friends and, and get drunk or have uh, sex with someone that we meet on Tinder if we're single or, or whatever. Or if it's married people that, that cheat on their husband or their wife, uh, that that sin kind of gives us joy or happiness or makes us feel alive. Uh, it's just not what God says. Um, I think it's a lot like a child that wants sweets, you know, they want a dessert. And if it weren't for the parent telling them, no, you can only have one piece of candy, they'd have all the candy in the bag and they'd feel good in that moment, but later on they'd feel sick, they would feel, uh, you know, kind of uh, gross. Or like a dog that wants chocolate, uh, as a dog owner, you're not going to let them have chocolate because you know it's not good for them. So sometimes we're like children in the sense that we want what is actually ultimately not good for us. Another analogy that I've always really liked is when you think about TV series and how popular they are, and one of the most popular in the last 15 years or so was the show Lost, and how each season kind of had its own narrative. And if you're in season two of that show, you're kind of you know focused on a certain story and things that characters are dealing with. And if you talk to someone, though, that's in season six of Lost, and you have your season two problems, and to someone who understands season six, Season two problems seem a little bit silly and a little bit pointless. I mean, some of those characters are not even around in season six, or things have changed dramatically. And I sort of think like that's true of our lives now, is that we are sort of season two focused, and God understands the entirety of the series. He understands what's going to happen in season six and when the show has ended. And we're so easily focused on season two and kind of what's going on at this moment in time. And if we understood where everything was headed, we would also think that what we were focused on was kind of silly. And so much is true of life, and so we are seeking short-term happiness, whereas we really should be focused on long-term joy. And uh, sin is something that will not bring us long-term joy. And as we understand it from a biblical standpoint, from a Christian standpoint, it actually uh, bring us hell, so the, the opposite of joy. And so, um, anyway, a lot to be said there. Um, let's see. Uh, there is a difference in joy and happiness, for sure. Joy is more of a long-term thing, and so the Bible does not promise us short-term happiness. It actually says that if we follow God, it might even bring us the opposite. And so we're sort of guaranteed that there will be some struggles, there will be some trials if we truly follow God. And so we need to be seeking joy that comes at the end of all this, kind of way down the line, season six, if you will. Um, David brought up this idea of 1 Corinthians 15, kind of echoing a similar sentiment of, you know, if someone comes to us and they say, well, Sin brings me happiness. How can that be wrong? And we make the difference, or we, we start, you know, strike the contrast between what, what is joy and what is happiness. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that if the resurrection, you know, the, the fact that Jesus raised from the dead, if that's not true, then we should kind of take on the Epicurean way of things, of eating and drinking and being merry. And if, that all, if that's all there is to life, then there's no reason not to seek happiness because it never really matters. But if the resurrection is true, and there are certain things that would compel us to act differently. And those are the things that we're focused on tonight. 
Lastly, we looked at this idea of how, you know, I feel like maybe the holiness of God is something that we living today maybe don't appreciate quite as much as what maybe an Old Testament Jew would have appreciated and talked about how they had a temple where God actually lived or inhabited what was called the Holy of Holies. And so they really understood, uh, I guess, tangibly sort of the holiness of God and, and then could kind of mentally think of where that existed. And in fact, priests who would go into the holy place and then the high priest who would go into the holy of holies or the holiest place, uh, they would actually tie a rope around his legs so that if he sinned or if he did something that was unjust in the presence of a holy God uh, and he was struck dead, that he could be pulled out of the temple because no one else could go in there because they would also die. And so they had this kind of fail-safe for someone making a mistake in the presence of a truly holy and perfect God. I think understanding God in that sense, it helps us understand His holiness uh, more accurately. He is perfectly holy and He cannot be in the presence of sin. And that brings in a lot of what David talked about. So hopefully those are some good thoughts for you. There was a lot more than that. And then of course there was also uh, dinner and coffee and, and some strawberry uh, dessert, which was great. And so um, just really enjoying this group. Really thankful to the new people who are here tonight. If you're out there listening, really grateful that you chose to spend your night with us. Uh, we'll be back next week. We're going to continue on with our gospel series uh, with a lesson called, Who is Jesus? So we've asked, Who is God? Who am I? tonight. And then the next week we'll ask, Who is Jesus? You can join us. It'll be Monday night at 7 p.m. Hope you can be there. You can also find us on Facebook. There is a private forum. It's the MDDDS private forum. And there's also a public page. You can keep up with everything that's going on there. Or you can reach out to me, Kyle Fagala, on Facebook, and I can get you where you need to go. So, hope you're having a great week. Hope the rest of this week is a blessing to you, and uh, we hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.